All right. Good morning. This may be a, a normal Sunday morning for you, but I, it is not a normal Sunday morning for me. Um, I'll be taking off here in a month or two. I'm, um, actually, my last day is on July 31st, and so I've got a couple more trips with the church and, and some vacation stuff coming up, but my last day is the 31st. And um, I was thinking when Chip said what he said, that actually in 1997, the very first uh, ministry position I ever held was as a Young Life intern at Bryan High. And my very first thing I ever did in a ministry position was have a Young Life club at Chip and Debbie Howard's house. And I think Chip has seen me um, mature and grow in, in 12 years. Maybe not up, but um, in many different ways. And so, Chip, thank you for what you said. I appreciate that. Um, but it is. Today is a, is a very bittersweet day for me. Um, and this last... Coming up to these months have been bittersweet because this has been a family and a home to me um, like none other. And um, there is some... I've become more and more emotional. I asked to cry in my office the other day and... Um, just when I think about how much I'm going to miss this place and the people that I've come to know and love. And, um, you know, it's, to me, it's, a, it's just such a great privilege to be able to stand here. And, and usually, um, you only see me over here when there's a spot to be filled. You know, the, the pastors are on vacation. It's like December 31st or something like that. Or somewhere everybody's on vacation and stuff like that. But I actually asked to come here today. Um, back in the springtime because I knew it would be my, one of my last times to get to get to say something to this congregation. And, um, and so I have something I want to say to you guys. And, and like I told, um, the earlier crowd, I have a little bit of license because it's my last one. And what are they going to do? Fire me? You know, that kind of deal. (laughs) So, um, I, something that I've been, I would say I'd, I'd wanted to say for eight years, um, but maybe had, have not taken the opportunity. Um, but you know, sometimes, it's never too late to say what's on your heart. And so today, I, I'm not coming to teach you the scripture, but to share some scripture with you and to share some of my heart with you about um, something that I think has been the heartbeat and the, the heart of the ministry here um, that I've been able to participate with in the, in the youth ministry over the last eight years. And so I want to start off by showing you guys some pictures. Now, you notice I called this title, I titled this message, The Strength of the Ox. And as Chip so eloquently in his radio voice read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you notice there were no ox in there. But we'll get to that because it will make sense in this Italian set. So um, I'll get you there. But I want to start off with a picture. I want to show you a picture. This is the senior class in 2002, um, the first class I saw graduate from this youth group. Um, There's 19 people standing here. Um, This is the senior class, this last semester just a month ago we said goodbye and we love you to a great great group of seniors and there's about 51 sitting there and and I don't show you that to show you an increase in number because the truth is I'd always rather see um, growth going deep than going wide okay I'd always rather see that numbers are not to me the most important thing but I wonder if you saw in these pictures what was so important to me do you see it Now, I'm not talking about me. Yes, I'm in there and I love myself, but that's not what I love. That's not what I see. I'm I'm the guy holding up the guy. Here's Here's what you don't, you might not notice. Because they blend in. It's it's the volunteers who have volunteered with the youth since I've been here. Um, There have always been a group of volunteers, and in this one they hide even better. 
But these are the, the young men and women who have, I've been able to serve alongside. They are the unsung heroes of this ministry that I've been a part of. They are the ones who um, I have absolutely loved and adored walking with and walking through ministry with. And, um, and today I want to talk about them. That's what I want to talk about. I want to show you some pictures. This was 2004. This was our, our leadership in 2004. This was our leadership in 2005. And you can notice there's a lot of young faces there. Um, a lot of young a lot of college students have, have come through this ministry and volunteered. 2006, 2007. We get together every year and have a dinner at the end of the year. We've done it since 2004. That's why I don't have pictures from 2002. Um, I would show you 2008, but the camera I took the picture on got stolen, so I'm going to have to skip to 2009. Um, but this is this year. We we had a dinner together, and everybody dressed up, and, and this was the leaders, and and. You know, if you look at this group, you'll see a lot of young faces. There's only one old guy in there, and I'm going to mention him because he ain't here. Steve Blumstead, he's in the back back there. But a lot of young faces. Um, we're a good-looking group, ain't we? That's what I thought. But, you know, you won't see any um, hired guns in there. You know, there's a few staff in there. We've got four staff, but, but that's, there's 30-some-odd people there. And there's no hired guns. You know, there's no professional ministers in there. There's no um, people who have a degree. None of us have a degree. That's why I'm going to get a degree. But you know what you do see? is You see, you see um, a group of, of young college students, young adults. Um, I counted it up, and I, I found that we have 12 adults in there. They may not look like it, but we got 12 young adults in there. Like I said, one of those is the old guy. And then we got 17 college students in there. Out of, 20, out, of those, out of 29 volunteer leaders that we had this semester, and here's an interesting fact for you, um, 13 of them were former youth group kids who have come up and decided to, to volunteer as well. And these are the folks that if I could spend one last message talking about it, it would be them. Because it has been a privilege to serve here. It's been a privilege to be here. But any accolades, any, any warm reception, any... Um, applause or praises that I have received in my time here has been because of the great people that have walked with me and the great people who have served alongside me. And they don't usually get the center of the stage. And so I want to lift them up today. And what I'd like to do, um, if, if I can, and if I can even do it justice, is to show you just how wonderful this group of individuals are by, by comparing them to some scripture. I do want to start off with a proverb because this summer was supposed to be wisdom. So I thought I'd throw a proverb in there. And this is a great proverb. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. None of this. You know, you don't have to do that. It makes it kind of nice. You know, that's pretty true. But do you all know how it ends? Do you know how the next verse goes? It says, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And you know, one of the things you'll see is, like I said, there's no hired guns. Um, those, the young faces in that picture, there's different levels of maturity. There's different levels of spirituality. All kind of differences there. And, and whenever you have volunteers and we're not professionals, you, there's messes. There's things like that. But I will tell you this. One thing I would say is true about all those young faces you saw 
is that they are the strength of the ox, committed to Jesus Christ, committed to walking with him, committed to loving and pursuing the youth that go to this church and and youth in the community, committed to growing and developing as believers in Christ. And so I look at them and I go, they are the strength of the ox. That is where the abundant crops have come. That's where any success that we have seen is because it wasn't because of me or because of my staff. It's been because there's been a group of volunteers, college students, young adults, and older, who have stepped in and because of their love for the Lord and because of their commitment to the Lord have stepped in to volunteer and give of themselves to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so if you'll permit me, what I would like to do, um, I shared this passage at our leader dinner, the one that I took a picture of, and, and I, I was fighting back tears the whole time because, uh, because of what our leaders meant, mean to me. And I may not cry today. I may not cry in front of you. I did the first service a little bit. But I want to tell you just how much they mean to me in my depths of my heart, and that's why I want to spend this last time talking about them. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I had Chip read this because I don't want to read it again, but I want to walk through it with you. And one of the interesting things about this section of Scripture is what you're going to see is the attributes that I'm going to highlight about Paul and his ministry to the Thessalonians. I want to completely affirm those in the volunteers that I've worked with for the last eight years here at this church. And so if you would, would you bow with me and let me lift this up today and pray for their time. Father, I cannot thank you enough that as we walk in life and the roads that we go and that I never would have anticipated standing here nor having ever served as a youth pastor at such a great place, at such a wonderful church, for eight years, I never would have expected that. And Father, I never would have expected the way that you have brought people into my life, both students, both families, and specifically the volunteers who have come alongside us who have walked with me in this ministry, and I've been able to walk with them. And Father, I thank you for them, and I pray that this morning, Lord, as we look at the Word, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we spend some time in it, as we look at the way Paul ministered to the Thessalonians, as he came to them, Lord, that we would see, and we would acknowledge, and we would appreciate the way that these college students and young adults have stepped into this ministry and ministered alongside each other, and the power of your spirit to reach these youth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, here's what I want to do. Let's go through 1 Thessalonians because it is a great passage. I want to do a little background on 1 Thessalonians first, um, just a little bit. If you you don't know, um, if you read Acts 16 through 18, you get Paul's second missionary journey. And in the middle of that, chapter 17 specifically, it starts to deal with Thessalonica. Paul went to Thessalonica after going to Philippi. And in Thessalonica, he did, as customary for Paul, he would go to the synagogues and he would preach and open up the Old Testament scriptures. And he would show and teach about how Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and who he is was revealed in the Old Testament. And as he did that, especially in Thessalonica, you found, and he found, that there were different Jews in the congregation in the synagogue, that believed and trusted in who Jesus was. There was also a large number of God-fearing Greeks and some very prominent and important women in the community who trusted in Christ. And so he set up and developed a very small community of believers in this town. Okay? 
Now, what happened was, though, in the Jewish synagogue, some of the Jews took, took problem with what Paul was saying about who Christ was. And so they gathered the troops and they basically, essentially ran Paul out of town. And so Paul, as he continues on his missionary journeys, had a heart for the Thessalonians like no other. And as he left, he sent Timothy and Silas to go back and check on them. And when they had come back and reported what had been going on and, and that the Thessalonians had some questions and whatnot, Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And he's going to do four major things in this book. He's going to encourage these young believers to persevere in their, in their faith. He's also going to defend his ministry and how he came and approached the Thessalonians because his name and his ministry had been bad-mouthed by some of the Jews. Third, he wanted to correct some misconceptions about the rapture and some other things and the Lord's coming. And he wanted to remind them of some basic instruction. And what I want to look at today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And specifically in this passage, Paul is going to defend this ministry. He's going to defend, how did I approach you as, as the Thessalonians? How did I come to you? And it's out of the characteristics that you're going to see as we're going to go verse by verse. And I'm going to, I don't have time today, I promise you. I'm going to get us out here at a decent time so y'all can go eat lunch and not dinner. Because I'm long-winded if you hadn't figured that out yet. But here's the deal. What the attributes I have seen in this passage, I want to highlight them and affirm them. Because I have seen them in abundance in the volunteer leaders I've been with. And I want you to know the kind of people that have served the youth of this church over the last years that I've been here. And so that's my goal for this morning. So we're going to walk through these passages one at a time. And here we go. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, Paul says, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, that our coming to you was not in vain. And what Paul's basically saying is, we came to you at Thessalonica, not just to give speeches, not just to, for, to, for ourselves, not for you just to hear our words, but we came with the gospel of Christ to see the spirit move, the truth implant in people's lives, and their lives change and grow. And Paul started that. But what I want to highlight to you is this, is that our leaders bear this same resemblance because of this coming to you. Remember this, why did Paul end up in Thessalonica? The Thessalonians didn't call him. They didn't say, hey, Paul, we need you to come tell us about Jesus. They didn't even know. And Paul shows up, why? Because Paul walked with the Lord. He followed the Lord. His heart was sensitive to the Lord's leading. And the Lord led him into this place to share the truth of God. And I look at our leaders, and what I would say about our leaders is this. Our volunteer leaders have come with initiative. They came with initiative. And, and I want to tell you something. It might shock you. I don't know if this will shock you or not. It's kind of funny. We laugh about it on our staff. I have, in all of the eight years I've been here, I have very, very rarely had to beat the drum, had to recruit anyone to serve in the youth ministry. In fact, the only times I've ever gone, I've gone to a few venues and I've said, we really need help in the, in the youth ministry. We really need, really need volunteers. And you know what? I don't think anyone's ever stood up when I've asked. <laughs> Maybe I need to ask a little better. I don't know. But what I have found is this. I'll get an email. I get a phone call from someone I don't even know. And they'll say, hey, listen, I, you know, I really just have been praying and I really want to volunteer with the youth. I feel like God has put on my heart to, 
to give, to, to serve. And, and I have a passion for kids and passion for youth because I was one and I, I know what that's like and I know how hard those times are and I, and I want to serve. And they come and, and I give them this monstrosity of an application where they have to fill out all this personal history and they have to fill out this doctrinal statement. And I figure if they get through that process, these people are committed. And then they have to go through this 45-minute to 5-hour interview with me where I challenge their thoughts and I check their theology and I walk through all this stuff and I check their character. And we bring them on. And I look at that and I go, they came out of obedience to where the Lord was leading. They came with initiative. Nobody twisted their arm. They walk with the Lord. They responded to the Lord's leading. They took the initiative and obedience. And not only that, because when, when we do ministry with our kids, you know, we look at it like Jesus. Jesus came to the world before we ever thought of him. No one was coming or seeking after God. God came to us. He pursued us first. And these volunteers have pursued the youth, stepped into their lives, pursued them with initiative. So I look at Paul, and I look at Paul as he went to Thessalonica, and he came to them, not in vain, but to change lives. These, these volunteers have come to do the same thing. And they have faithfully done that. And I've seen it over and over and over. 30 a year, 30 a year. Some stay a little bit longer, but new ones come all the time. It's a beautiful thing to see, the characteristics they have. Verse 2 says, But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. And if you know chapter 16 of Acts, which is right before they get to Thessalonica, they were in Philippi. And Paul, like, like he did in Thessalonica, goes in the synagogues and teaches. And as he's walking out of the synagogue, a, a young girl with a spirit of divination is following him. And he casts out this evil spirit. And the owner gets mad about it and has Paul brought before the magistrates. And they beat him and they take his clothes and they throw him and his companions in jail. Why? Because they were preaching and teaching and ministering the word of God accurately and boldly. And what happened? They get thrown in jail. And y'all know this story. They're singing praises in the middle of the night and an earthquake shatters the jail open and the jailer looks around and thinks, my prisoners have escaped and he starts to take his own life and Paul says, wait a minute, we're here. And he leads the jailer to Christ. What a beautiful picture. But Paul knew because he sat in a prison. He'd been beaten, stripped of his clothes and put in prison and he knew if I keep teaching this message, I'm going to face that and more. And so when he walks into Thessalonica, he comes boldly. He comes boldly. And I have seen our leaders do the same thing. Because I want to tell you something. The current of our culture is going so fast in the opposite direction of Jesus. For our leaders and these volunteers to say, I want to step in to that current. I want to step in. I just went on a backpacking trip. In Colorado, and one of the things we do is stream crossings. And you step in as a guide or a leader, and as the as the other people come by, you hold them and make sure that the current doesn't sweep them away. And you stand in that cold, frigid water, and you make sure that they can get through. And that's what these leaders have done. They stand boldly against the cultural current. And they stand, and have you ever been in a river? It's loud. And it wants to drown your voice out. And I've seen our leaders boldly talk about Jesus, boldly proclaim his truth at, their, at the tops of their lungs. Why? Because that's how it needs to be done with the current that's flowing the other direction. 
The other way I think that they persevere, have you ever done ministry with high school students? The most intimidating group in the world. There's no group more intimidating. I walk in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in high school all over again. It's the craziest thing. I can't tell you how many youth ministers I know who have driven up to a high school campus to go in and have lunch, and they sat there, sweated to death, turned around and drove home because it's so intimidating. I've seen youth volunteers go sit at a, at a table of high school kids and all of them get up and leave. It's an intimidating environment, but they come boldly. The volunteer leaders that I've seen have come boldly. Now, some of the youth aren't that bad. But it's hard. It's hard. And they come with boldness against the culture and against insecurity. Third, I like this. It says, he says, Paul says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. We have come to you, we've come boldly, and we've come with truth. We've come with pureness. We've come straightforward. And, and Paul, his message was true. There was no error. His motivation was pure. His method was straightforward. And I've seen our leaders do the exact same thing because they come sincerely to the students. They don't come with ulterior motives. They don't come falsely. I've seen our volunteer leaders over eight years wrestle sincerely wrestle with the word of God so that they could then take it and turn around and teach it on a Wednesday night as accurately as they could with no deceit. I've seen our leaders because they're so genuine in their care and love for these students. I've been in their presence when tears are flowing down their faces as they look at those students and they know the struggle they're going through. They know the pain they're going in. They know the family situations they come from. They know the the things that are wearing and bearing on them. And they weep because they genuinely care. They come sincerely. I've also seen our leaders weep over their own mistakes I've seen leaders sit in my office and weep because they had made a mistake and they didn't want it to affect their ministry with these students or those students to have a stumbling block in front of them. They come so genuine, so sincere to teach the Word of God and to love these students well. Four through six. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but God who determines our heart, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. You know, Paul did not come to please men. He didn't come to make his name great. He came to make the name of Jesus great. That's what he came for. And I know I've seen this in our leaders. I see this consistently. They come serving. Paul did not come to be served. Just like Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that's what I've seen our leaders do. That's what Paul did. He did not come to make himself great or to receive anything. He came to serve. And I see this in our leaders because they come serving. Because you know what? When you work in ministry, and anyone knows this if you've served in ministry for a period of time, where's the fruit? (laughs) When's the end product? 
Where's the, 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 the pat on the back and the accolades? You know what? It doesn't come very often. Now, I got some while ago, and I appreciate that. But very rarely does it come for the volunteer leader. But they step in there, and they give, and they serve, and they love, and they persevere. Why? Because they love Christ. Because they serve Christ. Because they realize what Christ has done on the cross for them. That they place their faith in Christ who died on the cross for them and gave them eternal life. And they go, you know, to serve and to give is what God has called me to do. And I'll do that. Even if it's not for me. So I've seen them serve. Verse 7. Paul says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And I love this imagery. Here is Paul talking about how he approached them with very great gentleness. And if you think about this, moms in the audience had little babies. What do babies do? Sometimes they're sweet and they're wonderful and they just laugh and they giggle. But other times, man, they're just in need. They are so needy, aren't they? Need my diaper change, need my food, need my passy. Need you to hold me, need me to hug me. I need all these things. But what does a nursing mother do? Does she push, her, push the kid away? Get out of here. No, that would be bad. You don't kick kids. First lesson in youth ministry. <laughs> what do you do? That mother, when that kid is struggling and, and fighting and struggling with life and, and has pain and has need and they're pushing and they're struggling and they're making noise and it's at the top of their lungs, what does a nursing mother do? Comes in gently. I know what you need. And carefully administers what they need. And I've seen that. You see that in Paul. That's how Paul approached them. Because young believers have lots of questions. Young believers are not mature. Young believers struggle. And they're trying to figure all this out and there's problems and there's messes and here is Paul saying, but that's okay. I've come to you gently. And I wrote carefully, full of care. And I may not be using that word just right, but that's okay because I'm teaching. (laughs) Comes carefully, full of care. And I've watched leaders come alongside students who are struggling who are dealing with issues. And they don't come in and dropkick them. They come in with grace and understanding. And they say, man, I know where you were because I was there just a year ago, three years ago, four years ago. I've been there. I know what it's like. And they step in and they say, I understand. And there's grace and there's encouragement and there's carefulness and gentleness. I've seen our volunteers do that just like Paul. Next verse, verse 8. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. And I love that. Because Paul didn't just walk into Thessalonica with an agenda to teach some information and then leave. He didn't come in there and go, hey guys, here is what you need about Jesus. Okay, I'm out of here. Paul came in, not with just a truth to believe, but a life to share. And he walked in with his heart, with his mind, with his passion, with his joy, with his delight. And and he entered into a relationship with these Thessalonians. 
And yes, he shared the truth. And yes, he encouraged them and exhorted them. But he shared his lives as well. And I've seen this in our, in our students, in our, um, in our college leaders, because they came holy. And they didn't just get ready for a Bible study on Wednesday night and then walk away. They've pursued students' lives. They've walked into their lives. They've, they've come alongside them. They've shared their own hurts, their own passions. They've shared their own struggles. Because isn't that what we all need? Is not someone just to tell us what's right, but someone to come alongside of us and say, let's walk together. They shared their lives with these students. And you know how I've seen that? I've seen that in weddings. Because when I see former youth who have been married, and that, not to put age on any of us in here, but there are youth that have been married, and I'm still not married, and it just drives me nuts, but that's okay. <laughs> they beat me to the punch. I don't get it. I'm doing something wrong. But they get married, and you know who they invite to their wedding, their rehearsal dinners? They invite the volunteer leaders because they meant something to their life. They impacted them. They stepped in there, and they were part of their life in some form or fashion. I've seen former leaders come back to a Wednesday night Bible study and a whole group of guys dogpile them and hug on them. Why? Because it was more than just an information exchange. It was life on life. It was love. It was truth put together. So I've seen our leaders do that like Paul. Verse 9 for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. That when Paul came to them, and they and the Jews had, had accused him of, of doing it for self-gain and for his own benefit and for monetary reasons, he says, no, we work night and day to not be a burden. This is, maybe he built tents. Maybe this is a time when he was working on tents and things like that and being a tent maker. But he came to not take anything away from them so that all he could do was give to them. And he worked very, very hard and he sacrificed his time and energy so that he wouldn't be a burden. And I have seen our leaders live out ministry in a sacrificial way. You know, I look at these college students and I look at these young adults and these college students who college is the, the, the best years of your life. And there's so much to go experience and join. What are they doing? But, but giving time and energy of themselves to minister to the youth of this church. We ask for 10 hours a week. But any of you know it's not ever 10 hours a week. <laughs> you can put a number on it, but it's always more. Because there's a phone call or somebody needs something or I'm having a crisis or something's going on in my life or I just want to hang out. And it always ends up being more. And these, these college students and young adults who have served in this ministry have sacrificed. They've given of themselves. I think of these young adults who work for 40 or 50 hours a week and, and they need community themselves, but they put some of that on hold so that they can minister to these youth. And I think about that and I think they have lived such a sacrificial time while they've been here. Not looking out for their own interests, but looking out for those who need Christ and need to grow. And they don't get paid for it. <laughs> they give of their own time. It's a beautiful thing to see people living a sacrificial life like that. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved towards you believers. And Paul's saying right here, 
The gospel is proven by my words, my action, and the way I've lived. And I want to tell you something. I have seen, just as Paul came to them with devoutly, uprightly, and blameless, I've seen our leaders live uprightly before our students. Some people look at college students today and they go, oh, they don't, you know, they're all living for the world and da-da-da. But I'm going to tell you what, the volunteers that I've had, the college students and young adults, have some of the greatest character, have some of the greatest integrity. None of them are perfect. None of them would claim to be perfect. And none of us can live up probably to what Paul lived up to. I can't, you can't. But these students, these college students and these young adults, they have lived lives before these students that mimic the person of Christ, that mimic the, mimic the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And they have done so with a sincere heart. And when they make mistakes in a mature way, they deal with those mistakes. They bring those forth. They handle them. They correct their wrongs. Because isn't that what maturity is? It's not that you have your act together. It's that you deal with your mistakes in a correct way. And that's what I've seen. They have come uprightly that their lives give credence to the message that they proclaim about who Christ is, just as Paul. We're getting close to the end. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. I love this about Paul. Paul was someone who loved people well like a nursing mother, but he also told truth. And you know, I was thinking about this. There's few things that are as impactful as when your father catches you doing something dumb and says, what were you thinking? It's pretty pretty convicting when dad catches you. Right? It's also an unbelievably encouraging thing when dad says, man, you can do it. I know you can. I believe in you. And Paul looked at these young believers and he exhorted them and he encouraged them and he begged them, implored them like a father would his own son, like a father would his own child or daughter. And I've seen our leaders live this out because they have come discipling. They have come walking alongside, encouraging, exhorting, imploring, calling them, pulling them, please, We want you to walk with Christ. What were you thinking? That wasn't a good idea. No, you got this. You can do this. I've seen our leaders take that kind of role. And it's a beautiful thing. And you know, we have some of the greatest families in this church. We have some of the greatest families. We have some great parents. But I want to tell you, not all of the youth that come to this youth group have parents who are believers, have parents who are involved in church, who have parents who love one another. And sometimes these leaders have stepped in as older brothers, spiritual brothers or spiritual sisters, as spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers, and have played a role in these students' lives. And you know, for those families who have, who have believing parents and are walking, never in our youth ministry have we ever wanted to take the place of parents. Just come alongside to supplement, to complement. And one of the great things that I've, we were talking about as a staff the other day is, there's a great quote out there It says, It takes a village to raise a child. I know what you're thinking. I am not quoting a certain politician who used that to talk about the government stepping in and raising kids. What I am quoting is the ancient African proverb where it originally came from. Where in a village, a very small group of people, a small population, had a group of kids. And it wasn't only the parent 
who loved on these students. It wasn't only a parent who loved on those kids, but as they roamed around the village and got interacting and got into troubles behind the, the huts and different things like that, other parents and other older villagers stepped in said, what are you doing? You can do this. And they stepped in because it does take more than just parents. It takes a village. And this is our spiritual village, Grace Bible Church. And it's been so awesome to see these college students and these young adults step in and volunteer and give of themselves to these, to these kids in this place. And I, I want to, just an aside really quick, I've been wanting to say this for ever since I started going down to the Dominican Republic on mission trips. But I want to say this now. Some people have said, what about the college students? And I don't want to defend the fact that we have college students in our ministry. It's been a great blessing. Their availability, their moldability, their teachability, their compassion, their passion for Jesus, their commitment to the Lord has been top notch. But I want to remind us as a congregation that we are in a unique, unique place in this world. Very, very few youth ministries in this country have, as, have 30 volunteers who volunteer with their kids. Very few. And if it is, it's usually the parents who are playing double duty. But in this place, I want to say, this place is a very unique place in College Station. And this campus is a very unique place. And the fact that we have college students who can come in and be a part of this ministry and grow and develop is an unbelievable opportunity for us as a congregation They bring the character, they bring the passion for the Lord and the ability to grow and to teach these students. But we also have an opportunity to see them develop and grow. When I was in the Dominican Republic, one of the great lessons I learned down there, Crystal Wallace, who is the missionary, told me a story and it was very powerful. It gave me a great vision for what what having college students being a part of our ministry is all about. And here's what she said. One day she was driving through Harbacoa, where they do their ministry. And she was driving in Chad, her husband's truck, which had an A&M bumper sticker on it. And as she was driving along, somebody honked out a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da behind her. And she's in Harbacoa, the Dominican Republic, in the middle of the country. And she's like, what in the world? And the car whizzed by her. So she tracked it down very safely. But in third world countries, it's never safe on those roads. So she tracks him down and pulls over this guy. And it's a, it's a Dominican, a national. And she pulls this guy over and says, what, what in the world? You haunted my Aggie. She goes, he goes, yeah, I'm an Aggie. Really? And it was right around muster. And he said, she said, hey, we, and this particular individual, he said, we're going to have muster. And we'd love for you guys to come join us as an Aggie. You know, the Aggie family get together. And so they were like, sure, we'll do that. So they go over to this muster where all these Aggies are coming. And there are tons of Aggie Dominicans. And she said, where did you all come from? And he said, well, you know, back in the 70s, I can't remember if it was the 70s or the, I think it was the 70s, A&M partnered with the Dominican Republic and brought a bunch of young high school graduates. And, and they, you don't usually get past junior high in the Dominican Republic. So education is a very, very, very good thing to have and very privileged to have. And they brought all these high school students from these little farm countries, farm communities and different places over to A&M, and they gave them a four-year education. And those Dominicans went back, and they are the politicians, they are the CEOs, they are the managers, the doctors, the lawyers of that country. They're all in unbelievably influential positions. And I'm going to tell you something. 
When I realized that, I don't know if that if two and two has added up to four yet, but this university and the students that come to this church, the opportunity that we have, that they have an education, they have the ability to go out to the furthest reaches of the world and be in very unbelievably influential positions. The one thing that Krista said is, yeah, it's great that they were Aggies, but what if they were believers? What an unbelievable opportunity we have to have college students come in and join us in this ministry and train them and see them grow and see them develop in their time here and then go out and be equipped to do ministry, not just to be ministered to. That's my little aside. Amen to that. So I've seen our leaders disciple. I've seen them disciple. And last but not least, Paul says, all of this, the way I approached you, all of these characteristics, all these attributes, why? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I have seen these leaders come and call. I've seen them call students to walk with Jesus. They've sacrificed, they've come carefully, gently, fully, wholly, all those adjectives I put up there, or adverbs, whatever they are, for this reason, to call these students to walk with Christ. And you know, I would say the same to all of us in this this room today. That's the greatest calling that we could call someone to. It's the greatest thing we could encourage someone to is to walk with Jesus Christ. It's not to make money in our name great. It's to make Jesus' name great and the riches of him known to the world around us. That's the greatest calling. But I want to say this to you in here today. You can't walk with someone you don't know. So if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Christ and you want to walk with Christ, I want to tell you, First, you have to trust in Christ. First, you have to put your faith in Christ. First, you have to enter a relationship with him. And the way that works is this. We have all sinned, every one of us in our lives, all of humanity has turned away from the living God and walk in his own way. We don't stand right with God. It's called sin. And for every one of us, that has to be removed. That has to be taken care of. That has to be dealt with. And scripture tells us we can't deal with it on our own. But Christ knew that. God knew that. And so he sent his son God in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins so that we could experience the forgiveness of sin. And we receive that simply by saying, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I place my faith in you. It comes by believing and trusting in his death and resurrection for our sins. And I want to encourage any of you, if you have not done that, that that is, you can't get to the greatest calling unless you make that first step. But then if you have, I want to challenge all of you. I want to call all of us to walk with Christ. To walk with Christ. Because that's what the volunteer leaders have been calling students to do for the last eight years. And I think that's a worthy cause for all of us. So I want to finish with this. Those those are the characteristics I've seen of our leaders. And I want to say any praise, any accolades that I have ever received while I've been at this job is because I have had people who have walked alongside me of that caliber of that character. And so really, when it comes down to it, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, I request of you, brethren, that you appreciate, that you acknowledge, and that you thank 
those who have diligently labored among you and have charged over you or your kids in the Lord and have given them instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That is the message that I want to share with you today. And I want to do one last thing. And what I want to ask is this. If any of you have volunteered, not been paid, but have volunteered your time, worship, children's, awanas, an elder in this room, a deacon, if you've served in a ministry in this community, I'd like you to stand up. Anybody who have served, come on, don't be shy. Guys, what I want to say to you is this. With all of my heart, I want to say thank you. Because the years that have been the best for me in this ministry have become because of people who have given of themselves and have walked alongside me in that. And I may not have walked alongside all of you, but you are the strength of the ox who have brought the abundant crops of this church and this village and this community in this place. And so with all of my heart, I say thank you for giving of that. Let me, you can go ahead and see it and let me, let me pray for us and close us. Father, you are the one who is worthy to follow. You are the one who is worthy to be acknowledged and praised in all ways. But Father, right now, we just take a moment and say thank you for these men and women, these young men, these young women, these college students, these young adults who have given of themselves and even the kids who have, who have served in the nursery and in the children's ministry who have given of themselves to serve, to volunteer. Father, I pray that they would know your blessing. I pray that they would know the smile that you have on their face for the fruit and the rewards that you have for them that they may not see now, but that will come because of their diligence, because of their love, and because of their sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would bless them powerfully and they would know it. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you very, very much. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day.